say you never met my wife, you never saw her before. You don't visit me when I ain't home. Well, here's what I want to know. How come my dog don't bark when you come round? Now, uh, he's about the meanest dog there is in town. Oh, yeah. He'd bite anybody, my sister or my brother. He'd even take a plug out of my old feeble mother. Yeah, he bit the mailman and he sees him every day. You say he never saw you before, but he wants to jump up and play. Now, I don't know just what you were putting down. How come my dog don't bark when you come round? And I took that right from the 78 shellac, and it sure sounds it, doesn't it? 1955, Crest Records, Prince Patridge. How come my dog don't bark when you come round? Now, to me, that's that's the study of animal behavior. Uh, that was his name, by the way, Prince Patridge. He was born in 1912 in Pinoak, which is now a ghost town about 45 miles outside of Austin. Died in 1994, and it's interesting. Somewhat unknown, but you see him on lists of blues, of country, or comedy, depending on who's, uh, who's writing. And uh, sometime we'll talk about Crest Records. But right now we're, uh, we're talking about animals, and we're talking about that with the guy who knows, Steve Dale, stevedalepetworld.com. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Hey, Raleigh, good to talk to you, and it's good to meet you. Yes, likewise, and I enjoyed looking at your site. But the first thing I did wonder, okay, you're a certified animal behaviorist. Who certifies this? <laughs> uh, the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. And, and incidentally, I'm glad you brought that up. If, you, if you're looking for uh, help, um, that's a good place to go. You're a veterinarian always, the first place to go. But if you're looking for a behaviorist, someone who really knows about animal behavior, dog, cats, pet birds, uh, it is IAABC.org. Wow. Well, this is this is good to know because I was thinking, you know, I never see that on any of the class catalogs from colleges. Okay, maybe abnormal psychology, but beyond that, uh, where do you learn to be a certified animal behaviorist? Oh, I don't know. I've been doing it for oh, forever, <laughs> for a long time, and and actually, oh gosh, can I just tell you a secret? Yeah. You won't tell anyone. I will tell everybody. I hope they're all listening. Every last one of them. Yes. So when uh, the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants was first created, and it was created really because all these folks were putting up a shingle on their door or website saying, I'm a behaviorist. Uh, And that is because mostly a guy on TV at that point, uh, a dog trainer using aversive methods who called himself the dog whisperer. So uh, he, he encouraged people to say, and we had all these whispering people all over the country saying, I'm a behaviorist, I'm a behaviorist. And some of them did have background in education, but most did not. So that is how the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants was really created. And when they were created, they said, you know, we need some people to start this off. We need about 10 people. Maybe the number was 15, I don't know, from around the country, really around the world, to be grandfathered into the organization. And I was one of them. Isn't that wow. horrible? No, that, too young for that. No, no, no. That, that's uh, that's absolutely great. Well, it hadn't been around that long. Come on. Now, I mean, how, how many years has this organization existed? 
My guess is now about 12 years. Okay. Yeah, because it's, it's a relatively a relatively new thing. And, of course, we've seen the dog whisper and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's, uh, it's a, a growing but relatively new field. And it's fascinating because, to me, I guess the only people who should be certifying you aren't people. They're the dogs, the cats, whatever. And, and you know, they're, <laughs> they're very, very silent on this, very reticent. So, uh, you know, I've got, I've got so many questions, actually. And your, your website answers uh, so many many. One thing I see you are just absolutely passionate about, and I'm with you 100%, is the concept of the pet store and doing away with that. Uh, I, I can't believe they're still around, and considering all the horror stories, how do they stay in business? Well, of course, you don't mean doing away with pet stores. I think what you're talking about are pet stores that sell dogs, in particular, and, well, and in some right. cases, cats. Right. No, absolutely. The kind of thing you normally see as the storefront at the mall where they've got uh, cute little Fido and 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 their 11 litter mates there uh, available for an outrageous fee. And uh, they're invariably born in places like Missouri. You got it. Yeah, totally correct. So here is uh, the Chicago story. Uh, At some point in time, uh, an organization called the Puppy Mill project was created and it began quite organically online i mean this is one of those in my opinion great online stories all these people got together and said you know what the federal government isn't doing anything about it local governments aren't doing anything about it we're going to do something about it and get our local governments to do something about it that something is saying no dogs or cats and in some places rabbits as well can be sold at pet stores Uh, chicago did this about Four years ago or six years ago, we were maybe the 150th or so city in the country to say that. And and it happened. I was very much involved in that. The Puppy Mill Project, uh, our uh, city controller at the time, or was she city? She might have had another position. Doesn't much matter. Her name, uh, Susanna Mendoza, people in Chicago probably still remember Susanna Mendoza. I said controller because she is now our state controller. But but she got together with the Puppy Mill Project and said, you know what, I, I endorse this. And and then they brought myself in and a couple of other people. The aldermen voted almost unanimously, 50 aldermen in Chicago, 49 to 1. That's right. No dogs or cats or rabbits can be sold at pet stores. And that happened. But three pet stores from the onset knew what they were going to do, and by golly, they did it. They, they the, the creative, and it's a Chicago story. They said, you know what? We're not for profits now. They filled out all the paperwork to be a not for profit, calling themselves a quote rescue. They get the dogs from Missouri and those other places that they previously purchased the dogs from. They're selling these quote rescue dogs for thousands of dollars. I mean, the price is the same as it always was or has gone up. What kind of rescue is that? Of course it's not rescue. They were, in my opinion, uh, defrauding the public and snubbing their nose at what the aldermen and the citizens of Chicago really wanted. And it's taken us a couple of years now, unfortunately. But fortunately, Alderman Brian Hopkins has said, you know what? We've got to close the loophole in, in the ordinance so they cannot do this any longer. So at a committee meeting uh, just this past week, I was one of three expert witnesses. We talked about why this is the case, which is essentially what you allude to. No responsible breeder ever, ever, ever sells to a pet store. 
Right. And therefore, they are from irresponsible people, mass producers that we call puppy mills. Oh, it's absolutely true. Well, the only thing they're rescuing, of course, is their profits. But I would mm-hmm. think that there there's so much fraud involved in this from the get-go that some of the fraud statutes should have covered it. Uh, you know, because you can you can file all the nonprofits you want, but it isn't uh, it isn't legit. And so, uh, hopefully, what's frightening to me actually, Steve, is that. They have customers. Uh, th- this is such a, a public argument. It's it's, and I can't believe anybody is unaware of this. Yet they're still getting people to plunk down ridiculous amount of monies for for dogs and cats of unknown origin. Yeah, um, one of the aldermen, Alderman Michelle Smith, said pretty much what you just said, and said, you know, how do we better inform people? So they're not even interested in these animals anyway, because. All right, there are suburbs around Chicago, there are cities around Chicago, and here and there all over the country. Now, the good news, the good news is that 300-plus communities have said, at this point, we ban the sales of dogs, cats, and often rabbits at pet stores. Many counties have done that around the country, and three states, California, Maryland, and Maine, have all said statewide for those states, no dogs or cats can be sold at pet stores. But to your point, everyone in the world, I mean, I've written national magazine stories about this. I've been on national TV shows. Forget about me. 2020 has done reports. Oprah Winfrey has done reports. I mean, on and on and on about where these dogs really come from. And people go there, and that is because of something called uh, oxytocin. And, and we know that looking at a dog, dogs in particular, but kittens too, but dogs, puppies especially, you look at that doggy in the window, and actually a surge of this love hormone, for lack of a better way to put it, the same hormone we get a surge of when we look at a human baby. And, and if you think about it, particularly for some breeds of dogs, but for all puppies, they kind of look like human babies in a strange way. Now, don't laugh at me. <laughs> they, they kind of do. Their eyes are at the centers of their heads. Their foreheads are very round. There are some similarities, and enough of them, combined with the fact that we know studies have done been done at this point over and over and over. Even for uh, cultures that don't seem to love dogs, they look at a photo of a dog, a photo of a dog, and the good hormone surge just by looking at a photo. So we evolved with dogs. And, yes, there are some people that have had a bad experience with a dog, and here or there, I suppose, there are some people that don't like them. But even people who don't have dogs, in general, you can't help but smile when you walk down the street and see a dog coming the other way. I mean, try it. It's hard not to smile, especially if that dog happens to be a puppy. So my pituitary gland made me do it, is what we're saying here. (laughs) That's close enough. Fascinating. Utterly fascinating. Now, uh, it's not only pet stores that are problematic. You also, right now, even among some so-called legitimate breeders, have a real overbreeding problem. And I say this because uh, years ago, I bred Bernese Mountain Dogs. Loved them. And they were fairly unknown still at this time. I was in northern Idaho. And... 
But what's happened now is they're in the top 25 dog breeds. You have some unscrupulous breeders who are actually trying to make them smaller. That passion I'll never understand. But the bottom line is their longevity is now below seven years. And it's so overbred. I got out of it for that. I said, I am not adding to this problem, period. Yet you see a lot of people that you'll say, well, these are legitimate breeders, but they're overbreeding like crazy. Yes, it's a com- I, I, I agree and I understand. And an and, and even more profound example, and you and I together, because you apparently know dog breeding, uh, can probably rattle off a hundred examples of this. But golden retrievers are the prime example. I mean, here is the postage stamp American dog, and they're dying at the age of three and four of a kind of cancer called hemangiosarcoma. Mm-hmm. Not to mention a variety of other issues that impact quality of life. I'm making up this number, but it is about 85% of Goldens that have allergies yes. that are profound and, yes. and difficult to deal with. So we've, we've done this to dogs. We've Look at what we've done to English Bulldogs in America. Oh. On a day like today in Chicago, where it's like 75 or whatever it was, I mean, lesson for us. These dogs can barely go around the block because their airways are so obstructed, their heads are so large, that each and every puppy needs to be cesarean. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy what we've done in America, specifically in America, not as much in Europe. Having said that, I have no issue for people that are trying to do it right. There are many responsible breeders out there. And whether it's a Bernese Mountain Dog or whether it's an English Bulldog or an Irish Setter, aren't they gorgeous? Whatever breed it is, I mean, a Brittany, a purebred dog, changed my life. We've had Devon Rex cats, a purebred cat. I have no issue with pedigree animals. I've got concerns that you bring up that are, oh, so valid. But, but I have no problem with them if people get them from people trying to do it right. We're a free country. That's fine. I want people to rescue dogs. I can tell you stories of dogs I've rescued. But, and that's, that's a good thing, you know, for anybody who does that. Right. And I'm glad the shelters are emptied out, not only in Chicago, but all over the country. That's, that's wonderful. But I have no problem with purebred animals either. Oh, I don't have a problem with them either but where where my problem is is that for the unsuspecting maybe you know okay i'm not going to the pet store um, i'm making sure my puppy didn't come from missouri or iowa or wherever uh, but finding a legitimate breeder because you look at these sites and uh, that these breeders have and many of them yeah. look oh so just just what you want they're they're telling you everything you want to hear and meanwhile they're lying through their ever-loving teeth so uh the caveat emptor question is how does somebody know my my ideal answer to that which is tough but my ideal answer visit the facility see where the dogs are being raised now if you're going to a responsible legitimate shelter then go to that shelter, and you're going to great anti-cruelty society in Chicago that's been around for literally over 100 years. I mean, you know you're going to a responsible place. And any of the other many shelters in and around the Chicago area, for example. But if you're going to a breeder, you are right. Anyone can hire anyone to make a beautiful website. They know what the questions are going to be, and Mm -hmm. they're prepared for them. So you're right about that. What they cannot prepare for is you visiting and seeing three breeds being bred at once 
and there are six litters of puppies from various breeds on the ground. Or, or you get a feeling that it's so filthy. I mean, these are members of the family who statistically mostly share our, not only our bedrooms, but our beds with us. And, and they're being raised in these horrible conditions. And then we want to rescue them, right? But I say don't do that because you're just then adding to the problem. Well, not only that, of course, it's one thing to talk about uh, the, the profit motive, but for the person who gets the animal and then later finds out that there are just horrible health defects or whatever, this is heartbreaking. It, you bond with the animal and you might not know it for a while. By the time you found it, the whole family loves the dog, and what do you do then? And yeah. I think that's the, that's the biggest cost. It isn't even a, a financial cost. And, uh, you know, it's great if you can visit a breeder. Uh, in, in some cases, depending on what breed you're buying and where you are, you might not have that luxury. But is there any, any legitimate referral in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, an organization like yours, except geared toward referring breeders that you can trust? I wish there was. And yeah. uh, years ago, the American Kennel Club did that for us, mm. but not no. so much anymore in, no. in reality. So I, I, wish, I wish I had an answer to that one. I, I really don't. And, and what you said is just so incredibly profound. I mean, you know, years ago they wanted to do, and I think that they actually did, a... Uh, so-called lemon law in Illinois. And, and they have these in other states where you purchase a, a dog from a pet store or, or a cat, and, and you have, if you find all these sort of medical problems, then you can take the pet back to the store. They have to, by law, take it back. This isn't a freaking washing machine here exactly. that you're taking back. It's, it's a member of the family that by now, I talked about those hormones, right? We have fallen in love with exactly. their living things with real feelings just like ours. How can, how can, so I actually am against those. What I am for is preventing them from being sold at those places in the first place. Exactly. Yeah, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'll see that sometimes and like take them back. You know, that in many cases, that's like taking your children back, although maybe that's not a bad idea. We're talking with Steve Dale. He is a certified animal behaviorist and that's stevedalepetworld.com. And oh, do I have a question coming up. I'm Raleigh James on WGN Radio. Run hot without cutting the food. We're tearing the town, got the top laid down like we're back in school. I got a white sport coat and a blue suede shoes. We're gonna find us a Betty and a Bobby Sue. Well, don't go telling, don't go ratting. Hey, baby, baby, we're Okay, it was the only song I could think of that had cat in it. Sawyer Brown, 1986 on Capitol. Sawyer Brown was a group, Nashville. Over 50 country chart records, including three number one songs to their credit, and this is the only one I know. Mark Miller is their lead singer, and he was joined by Cat Joe Bonzel from the Oak Ridge Boys on that. 
time, and this leads into my question for Steve Dale, a certified animal behaviorist you hear often on WGN Radio. SteveDalePetWorld.com is the website. All right, Steve, so here we go. Now, cats are ind- yeah, uh-huh. cats are independent creatures, and uh, you know some of us might think that no, they're in the corner plotting. But I've always heard, and I want your confirmation on this: if house cats were a lot larger, would they eat us? <laughs> no, I've I've heard no, they no, would. No. I've heard they would. No, uh, you know uh, we have different we have a different relationship with cats than we do dogs. And by the way, I have, I have the most exciting announcement ever for your show having to do with cats in a minute. But let me answer your question. So I talked about how we evolved with dogs, and dogs are always looking at us for direction. They're always asking us questions. We have a relationship with dogs, actually, that there is no other relationship between two species like on the planet. From an ecological perspective, it is unique. It is inspiring to me. I mean, dogs will voluntarily save their lives or put their lives, rather, I, rather to save our yeah, lives, right. they will risk their own lives. Cats have been known to do that, too, but, but dogs will do extraordinary things for people. That loyalty thing is not made up. About cats, uh, a different relationship because of the way they were domesticated and because of what cats are in the first place. So cats are both predator and prey, so they think differently. They're wired differently. They're always wired and always thinking about, am I, am I safe? Am I comfortable? Am I okay in the world? Do I feel that way? Uh, and dogs don't as much. I mean, we all want to be safe, us included, but... But dogs don't, on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis, think that. And cats, they're not thinking that. Is that, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about it. No. But, but they need to feel that way. Um, they're, they're just, obviously, they're different than dogs, but it's absolutely, it's a very long way of saying they love us, too. And people who have cats know that. You're sure about this? I, yeah, actually, I yeah. am. Now, with, with, with that in mind, the old the old uh, germ of truth to this, because I've heard this for years. Uh, where did this story start? Because you've heard it before, I know. Sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, it's, it's like that the, the cartoons that uh, with the pandemic, you see a dog in the corner, and and the little bubble above the dog, as the owner is coming uh, with the leash, saying another walk. I've been going on 75 walks a day. This is my 76th walk, and it's only 12 noon. Right. <laughs> Another dog in the corner, the owner comes with a leash, and the tail's going back and forth. And the dog is saying, this pandemic thing is the best thing that happened to my life. I hope it never ends. And then the cat up on a counter somewhere, a little bubble above the cat, is saying, oh, gosh, I wish these people would go back to work already. You know? <laughs> so... But that, but that, this, these kind of general uh, misconceptions are just that, really, about cats. Uh, they, they really do. They really do. We know they do. Uh, have feelings toward us just like dogs do. And I, you know, we, we're running out of time here. But I'll tell you, the pet parents with cats call in because uh, you can confirm what I'm saying. Yes. And, and the great news. Oh, this is the great news, Raleigh. You will. 
I hope you're sitting down. This is oh, yeah. so exciting. There's yeah. a book called Decoding Your Cat that you apparently need to read. Uh, that was authored by members of the uh, the other behavior organization, uh, the American College of Veterinary Behavior. So these are veterinarians that have a specialty, a board of specialty in animal behavior. Brilliant, amazingly brilliant people. And I was honored to write the introduction to that book as I did another book called Decoding Your Dog. And and this book is really answering all about the kinds of things that you're kind of getting at. Interesting. Now. Right now, we're celebrating that the shelters are empty and the pandemic is causing people to, in fact, uh, adopt and, and add to their families. And, of course, I'm looking at it in my jaded other side view of saying this is a disaster waiting to happen uh, in terms of shelter pets are great, but you really have to be ready for an animal that maybe you're going to have to, in the polite word, retrain. Uh, Very often, they're in the shelter for a reason. Now, I realize that's a horrible statement to make because very often it isn't the animal's fault. But on the same time, everyone I know who's dealt with this has had a unique set of behavior issues to deal with. And what I wonder about is, are people really ready for it? They'll find the animal, they'll think it's gorgeous and all that, but are they really ready for this work? Well, you know, shelters do a very good job, and and some, frankly, in my opinion, do too good of a job. They overdo it. Uh, but, but shelters do a very good job of screening people. Are you right for that dog? Or are you right for that cat? Is your household, is your family right for that dog or cat? Uh, statistically so far, at least as far as I know in the Chicago area, uh, the good news is, as you allude to, as the pandemic began and the PR got got out there, people really did say, okay, I'll foster the dog, I'll foster the cat, or I will adopt. And and for the most part, those animals are not going back. You know, it's working. Uh, but my concern, more than what you say, is about the economy. You know, it's all about the economy, Oof. and it's always been that way for so many things, and our pets included. So... We know back at the, the the last big economy issue, when was that, 2008? Do I remember right? Is that about right? Yes. Where we had the recession? Yes, ab- yeah. ab- so, absolutely. Yeah. It was it was September. So suffered. Yeah. yeah. So the shelters were overrun at that point over the course of several months, and uh, we had a, shelters had a problem. And I'm more concerned about that. You know, so there were people that were concerned that, Oh, people are going to give up their animals because their pets are going to get COVID. No. Or or that the shelters adopted out or fostered out inappropriately. And these we're going to have animals running in the street or landing right back at the shelters. And some have. But for the most part, the answer is no. I am more concerned about if the economy really does take a huge hit, that our uh, companion animals will pay a price. And in some cases, one can understand they have nowhere to go. That they, they can't find a place that allows animals, and it, it can be tough if, if you don't have a job long enough and have four kids and no resources. It's, 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 I, I understand that, and that is more of an issue uh, than anything else. And I agree, that, that, that is a huge issue. But I just wonder how many people are, uh, are prepared. But be, uh, never mind what I'm saying, we have a cat owner, all right? So we're going to give equal Yay. time now to the cat owner. That's Dennis in Colorado. All right, Dennis, welcome to W. Hello, Raleigh. Hello, Dennis. Um, I was going to call in last week. I didn't know you were going to have Captain Sheehan on again. But, yeah. uh, boy, I had some airline stories. But maybe we can save those for another time. Yes, um, I'm a certified cat guy, 
And I'm here to tell you, um, if, if you learn to, to be tuned into them, they are very affectionate and attachable animals. Um, I've had two Bombays, which have wonderful personalities. They're powerful, yeah. good hunters and stuff, but gentle as a lamb to kids. Um, and, um, you know, I travel a lot, as you know, and when I leave them, you know, everybody thinks they're kind of independent and they're aloof and they don't care about you. But, boy, when I leave and come back, they, for about two days, they're telling me that they were unhappy with that. Um, <laughs> they respond differently than dogs do, of course. But if you talk to them and tune into them a little bit, you have a very loyal pet. Now, now, see, you've just you've just sort of proven my point here without meaning to, Dennis, and that's that you go away for a few days, you come back, and your dog is all over you. I love you, I love you, I love you, slobber, slobber, kiss, kiss, all that. You go away, yeah. and your cat says, what, you left me? I mean... Yep. <laughs> for, for a couple of days, what he does, or, uh, or she, I have four of them now, and not because I wanted four of them, but because I had friends that died or were, moved out of the country in the military, couldn't take it. And all of a sudden, I've got four cats. But um, what they do, it, no, they aren't. They don't do it that way. But what my cats will do, three of the four anyway, is they can't get out from under my feet when I come back from a trip. They are right there. They're meowing. They're brushing their face and their body against your legs. They crawl in bed with you, um, snuggle up. And again, they're not as emotive in an outward way that is so obvious with dogs, but they're very, um, you can tell they're very attached. And, and they punish you a little bit. I mean, um, two of them I have will just look at you. One of them looks right into my eyes. I mean, doesn't look at the face, doesn't look at your hands really, looks straight into my eyes. And I swear, he tries to talk. He, he'll make these long, growling meows and w- changing pitch and moving his mouth around like he's trying to talk. And what he'd, and be, what so, he'd be saying is, if I were larger, I would eat you. <laughs> no! That was an interesting question. I, I really, I don't think so. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I got interested enough when I had Boris, my first cat, um, it was a beautiful Bombay, which are highly sought after because of their personalities and intelligence. And uh, he was he would behave like that. And when another, when a child, a baby, you know, comes into the house, uh, you know, a three or four year old, and they don't know what to do, and they knock it around or they abuse it, Boris would just lay there, and he knew that he was the greater creature. Um, there was another cat that came into the house who is a totally different breed and did not want to have any part of Boris. And Boris, who's, a, like I said, a powerful um, cat, he used to cavort, he was feral before I got him. He, used to, he was seen, got a picture of him, trotting across the local store parking lot with a fox. I mean, that's, wow. that's just how he was. And um, yet when... Uh, a child, uh, another cat came into the house who didn't want anything to do with him, and Boris would walk up to him and lay down on his back and look up as if to say, I'm okay, I'm being submissive, I want to be your friend. Hmm. So th- they do think. Um, yes, they do. The smarter ones do. I'm, anyway. I'm with you there. They're thinking. Yeah, but they're very, <laughs> they, they can be very loyal. About, uh, and of course, they differ enough. widely. 
Yeah, they they do differ widely, obviously, and that that's that's all animals, and even within the same species. I mean, they have their personalities for sure. And uh, in the in the case of cats, lately they're getting voter registrations, as you've probably read. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but oh, I believe oh, it. In, in Georgia, now, now Cuddles, actually, Cuddles was gone now for 12 years. Cuddles is in an urn on the mantle. Uh, yet Cuddles got uh, a voter registration form just uh, just last week in Georgia. Oh, and her, I recall you saying that. Yeah, her owner, you saying that. Her owner insists he's a Democrat. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good deal, Dennis. Thanks for calling. All right. Thank Appreciate you, Riley. All right, so we're talking to Steve Dale, both cat and dog lover, equal time there. You're welcome to call in with your viewpoints either way. I'm just here to have a good time. 888-876-5593. I'm Raleigh. It's WGN Radio. Roscoe Gordon, No More Doggin, 1952 on RPM. Got to number two on the R&B charts back then. A pioneer of Memphis blues. He was born in Memphis around 1928 and had a few classics like No More Doggin and a little bit. And yes, there is a Chicago connection. The uh, Chess Brothers pretty much sued RPM, the Bahari Brothers, over, uh, over Roscoe. I'll tell you that story some night. But in the meantime, we got the benefit of some great music. I'm Raleigh James, and this is WGN Radio. And you can call us at 888-876-5593, R-O-L-L-Y-E. And we're talking with Steve Dale, who is a certified animal behaviorist. I'm sure you've heard him many times on WGN and everywhere else, really. SteveDalePetWorld.com is the website, and I think we have someone else to talk to. Jim in Chicago. What's up, Jim? Hey, welcome back, Wally. Thank you, Great Jim. Great to hear you. Yeah, thanks for being there. Yeah, I called you about a month ago. I'm a diehard uh, doo-wop aficionado. I told you I started listening when uh, Herb Kent was on WBWE. Oh, of course. Yeah, the and, big uh, B. you played a couple songs for me, Dear One by yes, the Scarlets. absolutely. You played, a, you played a song that, by the Dandeliers. Yes. I don't know if it was Little Man or Shoe Up. Yes, it, it, I, I think it was Shoe Up. I tell you it's good to hear from you. Well, thank you. You don't happen to sing Doo Up, do you? The reason I uh, ask. How about uh, the reason I'm. I would have gathered it didn't take long. 
right. feel so good now, now that you're home. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you. I'll remember t- that one? Absolutely. And Ken. Newlywood, newlywood by the orchid? Yeah, you betcha. Now, Ken, who called a few weeks ago, is a doo-wop fan who wants to sing doo-wop. So I have his phone number here. So if you or anyone else want <laughs> well, to sing doo-wop with Ken. Those days are long gone. Uh, I'll, uh, I, uh, I, I like to talk to you for a long time, but I know you have. When's the best time to talk? You know, talk, talk to you. Talk music. I don't know. Maybe. We'll, how about Friday night? We'll do something Friday night. All right, Friday. And I wish you'd play a couple. Like I, I'm going to give you a hint. Okay. If you come, to, if you're ever over in Chicago, Jack, and you want to get yourself a re, real gone snack, uh, what are you going to get? You tell me. Red hot French fries. Oh, all right, all right. And chili, Mac. Do you remember that one? Yes, and I don't know if I have it, but by Friday, I'll find it. Uh, it's the Morocco's. Yeah. Red hot French fries and chili. And if you don't have that one, you have Little Man by the Dandelion. Okay, I can, do, I can do either of them probably. Little Man, I know I have. All right, good deal. I'll talk to you Friday. Right, thank you, Riley. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Okay, bye. All right, so not not exactly pets, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Chicago Soul is my passion, Steve, so I kind of break for that. Uh, but Mark in Evanston is on your side on the, on the cat story, by the way. So, Mark, welcome to WGN Radio. Yes, thank you. Great discussion. Um, I just want to say I'm, I'm definitely a dog person, too, but I want to say that um, I was introduced to cats around uh, 15 years ago, and um, I, a woman and I... Uh, decided to live together and she had cats. I had no idea how incredibly affectionate they are. Um, I had a male cat who was attuned to every one of my moods. And uh, two things I want to say. One, if I went away, first of all, he tried to pack himself in my suitcase. But when I came back, he wasn't standoffish at all. Um, he, He would greet me immediately. My cats come to the door the minute I come home. And the other thing I just wanted to add these are just ordinary cats. So I, I appreciate the person who called you long distance who was talking about uh, certain breeds of cats. These are just ordinary cats. I think if you're kind to them, if you're patient with them, um, they're incredibly attached and affectionate. Uh, so I just wanted to put in that word. I think, I think people who have a certain view of cats have either haven't lived with them or have not uh, kind of open themselves to the cat. I think they've been probably a little suspicious of them. Well, that's a great testimony. I'm so glad you called, Mark, and I hope you'll do it again. Okay, thank you. Okay, Have thanks. a nice Yeah, Bye-bye. all right. So, so, yes, interesting he said that a woman brought a cat into his life because that's usually the, the stereotypical image. I don't have much time, as you well know, Stephen. I want to hit one thing for a minute or so here because it's so important sure. right now, and that is people do not understand how hot it gets in a car if you leave an animal in it in the summer. So take the floor. Oh, sure. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. You know, because dogs still die in hot cars, and I and many others have been talking about this forever. So I went on the roof, and this is true for the uh, Lord knows what the radio bit I did, Anti-Cruelty Society of Chicago, wearing my wife's fake fur coat, and and because dogs are always wearing a fur coat. And uh, I wore some gloves, put on a winter hat. It was only 82 out, and in 15 minutes less, it was like eight minutes. Our GoPro camera broke down because the car got too hot. The thermometer stopped because as high as it would go, it was 120 degrees. Dogs cannot survive in that kind of temperature. Dogs, in fact, 
uh, are very inefficient overall at releasing heat. We perspire. They mostly do not. They pant, and that is not very efficient. Simply put, you can kill a dog that way. Uh, between last year and so far this year, we're talking about 70-some-odd animals that mm-hmm. we know of that have died in hot cars. And in each and every case, I can't imagine anyone is meant to do that to their dog, yet it happens. Absolutely. And that's the thing. You mentioned 82 degrees, even 75 degrees. If the sun's out and all that, you, that car in a half yep. hour, that will be an oven. It's been a delight talking you to bet. you, Steve. I hope you'll join me again somewhere. Anytime, anywhere. All right. All right. It's an offer I can't refuse. Thank you, Raleigh. All right. Steve Dale, PetWorld.com. That was a lot of fun.